Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fiona Osborne and this is Inside Exec. We're continuing our discussion with Triska Scott-Brannigan, this is part two, and we pick up the discussion where Triska is talking about managing teams of creative people. It's extremely rewarding what you're doing in more than one way. Obviously you've got awards about the marketing itself and what you achieved there in innovation, but the, the difference you're making to people coming to university, the way you're thinking, sort of speaking by the sound of it. I think it's very encouraging. It is, mm. and employees these days, they want more yeah. in their work than just getting a paycheck. They want to know yeah. that they're making a difference, yeah. that it's meaningful work. Yeah. And you read a lot about millennials, and yeah, that's really important for them. And I think that that's the beauty yeah. of being able to offer people a role at, yeah. at the university in the marketing division there, because I'm offering more than just great work, innovative work, yes. cutting-edge marketing work for a fantastic call. In that sense then, probably the one question that I had before we started, how different is it to manage a group like that, where you know that they're creative and they're, they're committed and they're driven for whatever reason? Is the management of that kind of a team different to what you expected? The, the capabilities that you need to have in the marketing division now is far more than you ever have. So 10 years ago, you could have a smaller marketing team, and most people do the same sort of thing. It's very campaigns-driven. Um, there's a lot of management of agencies, whether that be media advertising agencies or creative agencies. And it was really the agencies that actually did the work. Because of the technology we spoke of earlier, a lot more of that work that agencies were doing for an organisation is now being done by the marketing division themselves, which means you need to bring in different capabilities. And the breadth of the capability inside the marketing division is so much broader now. So I have in our division anywhere from a brand person who deeply knows and understands the technicalities behind brand, have people who are the creative people, the designers, who love beautiful looking things that can create that, through to people who are coding, they are building websites, through to people who are A-B testing, they're constantly figuring out how is the market responding, and, and it's very, very scientific, everything is data driven through to data scientists yes. who are then analysing at the background. Now, data scientists is not a great Through to, you know, we have a call centre. Yes. People who are constantly on the phone and have got to, you know, be kept motivated yes. when they're constantly on the phone talking to people. A very, very dispersed group. And I think that's what makes it exciting, yes. uh, managing a very dispersed group, because it, it balances people out. If yeah. the whole group was in focus on one area rather than the other, it would become quite bland. It becomes quite colourful when you put that mix together. Not to say friction doesn't happen in the meantime, but I think that it's a, a somewhat healthier environment. And you get respect from all of the different ones for the other roles? You can only get respect if there's transparency. Where there's not transparency between why people are doing what they're doing, what they are doing and the impact it's having, it, if you don't have that level of transparency, then disrespect, mistrust comes into play. So the more transparent we can be, the better off everyone is. And what we've been really invested in a lot of time in this past year is changing the way in which we work. We're now bringing in what's called an agile way of working. It's a term that's been banded around a lot, but what that means for us is we 
apply an agile way of working across everything that we do, business as usual, not just projects, not just IT implementations, but in how we operate. And to do that, it means that the people actually doing the work are far more empowered to design the work. So we say, this is what's needed, this is the ultimate objective that we're trying to achieve. And it's the staff themselves who figure out the solution in order to achieve it. As opposed to historically, management going, this is what we need to achieve, now this is how you need to achieve it, which yeah. is very disempowering. When you create an environment where it's the people are doing the work and how to figure out how to do the work, they pretty quickly figure out that they can't answer that question on their own, so they need to work with people across areas that they would normally not have uh, collaborated with, and collectively they then together identify what each individual needs to do, the skill sets that they have in order to do it, the most efficient way to do it, and they figure it out amongst themselves um, in a very transparent way. And the staff are loving that change in approach. That's great. That's good to know because that's where the respect to each other needs and the collaboration comes in without being told because they're wanting, they're needing, and they both want the same answer. Yeah. And it allows for innovation, it yeah. allows for creativity yes. regardless of how you're looking at the yeah. definition of the word. And then people own it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. all levels then own it and understand what yeah. And promote it. They're proud of it yeah. and they want everyone to know that this is what we did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, yes. And see what you just described works in any industry, in any, any workplace. There's no yes. need for it to be segregated by industry or state or country or anything. It's no. teamwork in its best. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think the challenge is getting support from above to do yes. that. Uh, I've spoken to a number of peers from other mm -hmm. sectors about yeah. this. And everyone's really invigorated by what we're doing, but I'm yes. also hearing from my peers the challenges that they have to implement that same approach in their workplace. Because senior management have very difficult um, and I really feel for people in those cultures and those environments that aren't embracing yeah. new ways of working. And I'm not sure how they're going to continue to attract great talent in the next five to ten years unless they wake up to that. It's a little bit like we're all disrupted through digital, but some sectors ignored it for maybe yes. a year to their detriment. Yeah. I just wonder in the next five to ten years we'll say the same phenomena but it's because of the culture and the way in which we're working that will be the disruption. I, th I think they'll have no choice. I think it's being scared of not having control and being seen that I can only be a leader by telling people what to do. And that's not really the right leadership anyway. They came a long way when they talked about projects. Now you're doing it as business as usual. Seem to have been accepted for projects when you said we need a cross-functional team to come and solve this issue. That they seem to be okay with that because it was confined. It might be a bit scary for some what you're saying, but it'll be worthwhile. And, and I think you said before it's really um, pertinent point about the leadership. It yes. redefines what your role is. Yes. Tra traditionally, managers were managers because they were great technically at what they did, and then yes. suddenly they found that they're then responsible for an area, and they may or may not you know feel comfortable managing large groups of people. And as a manager, you often I think feel the expectation is, is that you know the answers to everything and you have the vision for everything. Yeah. What I found really liberating through this mm -hmm. is letting my staff know that no, I don't. You have the answers, which yeah. redefines them. What's my role? What's the value yeah. I bring? I no longer bring the know-it-all hat. Yeah. So I have to bring something different. Mm -hmm. And 
is that difference valued and worthy of still being the leader? And this is this is what we all need to appreciate is the role has completely changed as a leader. It's no longer being the dictator yep. and saying to people how to do things. It's now figuring out how to empower and enable others yes. to do things. It's very much about succeeding through others by being the mentor and coach as well and yeah. being the one that takes the rap when things don't go right instead of punishing. I think that's better leadership than I'll tell you what to do and if you fail, it's your fault and if you succeeded, it's mine. Yes. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I knew it all on. Yeah. I, I chose the right way. What do you see then as the emerging, not so much technologies, but emerging issues in the next five to ten years? I, well, for me, it's absolutely about the way we're working. For me, that's the number one thing. It's what I'm talking to lots of people about at various conferences and other forums. Because for me, I really do truly believe that we've invested a lot in marketing into our technologies. As a result of that, we've invested a lot in bringing new skill sets into marketing teams. And often the type of person is very different to the traditional marketer, as I explained before, which now means we've got modern technology with archaic processes and ways of working. And I, I use the analogy of the automobile. Think about when the automobile was first you know, launched, let's say, and, and came into our world back in the late 19th century. At the time, everyone was going, wow, this is fantastic. Look at this mm -hmm. automobile. It's, it's a driverless horse or you know, self-driving horse, you know, and they were like, wow, this is amazing. And so then, you know, all the governance that then happened around this time is fascinating to read into. And what you learn is that the acts of parliament that were passed did recognise this was a modern technology, something to take seriously. It's when uh, the acts pass things about what's the weight limit, what's the speed limit, what's the registration, things that are fundamental to how we operate today. But they also got a lot of things wrong. One of the things that they got wrong is they said, they mandated that a person, a human, should walk in front of the car carrying a red flag <laughs> to warn that it would come. But the one I love the most is from Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania, it got passed unanimously through both houses that upon seeing animals, livestock, when you're driving your vehicle, you must instantly do three things. First of all, you must get out of your vehicle straight away. You must then dismantle your vehicle. And third, you must hide the material <laughs> underneath the bushes so that the livestock won't be distressed oh. by what they've seen and only re-emerge with your vehicle and put it back together once the livestock had moved on. Now, fortunately, the governor at the time realised the ludicrousy yes. of this and did an executive veto. So we do see there is value in executive vetoes, although they're yes. used a little bit too freely yes. these days. But, you know, that's, you know, modern technology with old-school thinking, and we've got to make sure we're not the person carrying the red flag in front yes. of the vehicle. Universities are training people for professions that may well disappear through AI. Do you see that as something that you need to address? Absolutely. It's number one. I have three children and I say there's three languages I want them all to learn and want them to speak. Actually, it's like four languages. English, because we live in an English-speaking world. A second language, that's really important to understand culturally, and it's something I wish I had that I never got. Music, because I think it's really a vital part of life. 
and coding. Coding is fundamental baseline learning and in the primary schools now, it's now mandated as part of the real disease. But exactly as you've said, in the next 10 years, you have something like 50 to 60% of all jobs are going to be automated. The flip side of that depressing fact or stat is that machines don't know how to fix themselves. Machines are really hard to integrate with each other. Uh, you know, with the marketing technology I've mentioned and the, you know, the you know, over a dozen different systems that we need to have working all the time, it takes a lot of manpower to get those machines to work together. I cannot see that machines will become autonomous for maybe the next 100 years. It's, I think, far further into our future than what some of the hype is at the moment. But we absolutely do need to prepare for automation. Uh, we absolutely do need to skill people to know how to communicate, program, and work with um, automation. Uh, and I think it's a fascinating area, the whole AI area, and where I look for my learning around that is in the automobile world, where deep learning is happening at its truest form. Um, and as that technology matures and gets more affordable, and we see that then incorporated in different sectors over the next 10 years, that's when I see the next wave of disruption. I want to touch a bit on the fact that you've got a young family, yes. and you even have some of them overseas, you said, or all, all of, of them. them. All of them. So, working in a different country, in a different state, as you said, you followed the opportunity. Did that take a lot of courage, or was it just your motivation? You seem to have made it work beautifully. So, you want to share some tips with people who are thinking about it? Yeah, every move I've made, I've always been frightened to make it and mm -hmm. had days and weeks of thinking that I'm not going to jump the opportunity. Mm -hmm. I remember the move from Melbourne to, so from Sydney to Melbourne, yeah. I went to my closest girlfriend's house and I said, oh, the opportunity has come, they do want me, they, but it means I need to move to Melbourne. Oh, I'm not sure. And she just sort of looked at me and said, Triska, that's not like you. I've never known you <laughs> not to take an opportunity and run with it. And that's all I needed was just to yeah. shake up a reminder. Mm -hmm. And then the same thing happened when we were moving from Melbourne to New York. Yeah. And uh, it was a five-month process, 30 interviews later. Oh, wow. I finally got the offer, and then I said to my husband, you know, we just got married, we finished renovating the house, and I said to my husband, you know, one night at dinner, looking around this beautifully, recently renovated home that we had, and the hours of labour that we'd endured, and I said, oh, maybe we shouldn't move, maybe we should just enjoy this. And he said, well, that's ludicrous. So he went out, bought a case of American beer, Miller's, we're drinking this to start getting our taste buds acquainted to the local brew. So that's that's, you know, the impetus, both every time I've needed an impetus of someone reminding me of my courage. So without that reminding, I probably would have been more reluctant to have taken the final leap of faith. That's a good tip. So you have a, um, a support network, if you like. Absolutely. Whatever sort, husband, friend, relative, and anything that reminds you of what you're trying to do yes. and, and encourage you to do it. No one yeah. can ever do anything on their own. Yeah, I have to agree with that. How did you get on board? Because a lot of people like to and very capable and I would add 
tremendous value in the boards, and I know they're limited to small people than boards. So, any tips on that? All the boards I've been on, I've always been asked on them. Right. I've never actively gone to look, mm -hmm. even though there've been times I've thought maybe I should. Yes. I've never got around to looking at. How have I got to be asked? It's through my network. Right. It's through building a personal profile. Mm -hmm. So the first board I went on was a not-for-profit charity yeah. uh, in the cancer sector, mm -hmm. and that was a fantastic opportunity to really cut my teeth and understand what it was all about. Yeah. And that came through someone in my network who was on the board already, a board position came up, and right. she sent a post out on her to her professional network saying, yeah, there's an opportunity here, anyone interested? That perked my interest, yeah. and I put my hand up and said, yep, why not? Let's give this a go. And that's how I got into the first board. Then the next board was a professional association, a marketing mm -hmm. professional association, yep. ADMA. And that came through the board wanting to have, so again, there was an opening on the board and they wanted mm -hmm. to fill that opening with someone who not only had marketing expertise, but also yep. in the education business. Because as an association, they yes. see the absolute value of educating not only the current marketers, but also yep. businesses on Definitely. marketing. Yes. So, you know, training and education is a fundamental yep. pillar of that association. And so, again, through me having a profile, through me basically saying yes to every opportunity yeah. to speak in an event, to yeah. be part of a network opportunity, I, I just say yes. I mean, I'm able to get a little bit more selective now, but to begin with, when I first moved back to Melbourne seven years ago, I, I yeah. my network had dried up, <laughs> so I needed to re-establish yeah. myself. And so I did that by just saying yes every opportunity and balancing and juggling all the other commitments. And that then meant that I started to build a profile. People yeah. knew me or heard me or heard of me. Yeah. And so when that role on the Admiral board became available, I clearly was someone who was top of mind for the yeah. right people. Yeah. And some of them whom I knew directly and some yeah. of them who I didn't. I, I think this is really good because a lot of people think they're a bit reluctant to network or think it's, you know, uh, it's just having coffees, but I think it is very much about working with others to make things happen. Yeah. Not just for you personally, but help them, whether it was your time on that cancer uh, not-for-profit organisation, or your time here, yeah. and this is about sharing your experience with other people that would learn needs from this conversation, which is very generous of you as well, as just not for networking for self. That's you know right, I mean? and yeah. I really enjoy when I'm asked to speak on like a panel or something like that. Yes. Because it does two things. First of all, in order to talk on something, you've got to make sure you've got your own thoughts yes. about it really crystallised. So it does help yeah. to sharpen my thinking on critical yeah. you know, topics that are really relevant right now today. Mm -hmm. The second thing is I can have some really interesting conversations on those panels yes. with the other panelists, and yes. I learn more about them than I otherwise would have. And often that leads to, hey, can we catch up again and, and talk about that a little bit more deeply? Yes. And so it's a very natural way of building um, meaningful relationships yes. with people in your business community. Mm. And I, I'm just always very curious about what others are doing, particularly with the sectors and skill sets. So it's a wonderful way for me to learn. Yes. I find I actually get a lot of help. Yeah, that's as well. That's great. We're going to leave it there for part two of our discussion with Triska and we invite you to join us again for part three, the final part of our discussion with Triska Scott Brennigan. But for now, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec.